Maybe I could be like an announcer, like a columnist. I don't believe what I just saw. You know how I always make those interesting comments during the game? Personally, I think you got hosed on that call. Yeah, yeah, you make good comments. So what about that? Well, you know, they tend to give those jobs to ex-ball players and people that are, you know, in broadcast. What about a talk show host? This is In the Booth. Talk show host, that's good. <laughs> I think I'd be good at that. I talk to people all the time. With Matt Park. I was creative enough to have thought of that in the first place. But when you get right to the heart of matters, it is the heart that matters more. And it is off to Omaha this weekend. Uh, Thanks to uh, the Counting Crows for playing us in there. And uh, Syracuse basketball led by its heart. And that's the only advantage they had against Michigan State yesterday. Michigan State has better players, more of them, and had a better season. 30 wins, just four losses. Other than to their in-state rival, Michigan, they hadn't lost to anybody since January 7th. They hadn't lost a close game all year. They crushed Syracuse on the boards and a couple of other factors in the game. But heart matters, and finding a way matters, and in simply one of the most surprising outcomes in uh, Syracuse basketball history, the Orange uh, knock off Michigan State and get on to the Sweet 16. This is literally the first second I've ever thought of this. Is I was trying to think of what was as surprising. The Clemson football win, I think, might have been... I guess that's right up there. It's about the only thing I can think of that's... that in. I've called the games here for 15 years. I, those are probably the only two that are on, on par with one another in terms of most shocking. And at least the football game was believable as the game was unfolding. They played from the front. They led the whole game. They injured the Clemson quarterback, and then you you know, felt like, okay, now they got a shot to win this game, and they're going to hang on. I didn't think Syracuse was going to win this game with two minutes to go. Maybe that's a little exaggeration. With four minutes to go, when Frank – I had it over a number of different times. When a guy banks in, and we're going to hear from Coach Beheim on this, but when a guy banks in a three-pointer at the end of the first half, it's not your day. When Syracuse seems to collapse at the end of every first half, as they did certainly against TCU and came back to survive it, I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, and when you get right to the heart of matters, it's the heart that matters more. When Frank Howard picked up back-to-back fouls, the second one, his fifth of the game, with no time running off the clock, and he was off the floor for the final six and a half. They really had no business winning that game. But Syracuse is in the Sweet 16 with barely having a two-possession lead in three games. All right, I know statistically they led for literally a couple of seconds 
They led by seven points against TCU twice, actually one at the end of the first half, but then there was that immediate 8 nothing run that closed the half and uh, gave up the lead. And then they led, they won the game by five, and TCU hit a last-second shot, so by definition they had a seven-point lead just prior to that. That was brief. So for all intents and purposes, they have played three consecutive exceptionally taught games. They haven't gotten down by too much either, but have uh, taken everything thrown at them by the opposition and have found a way to the Sweet 16. For Jim Beheim, it's uh, his 15th Sweet 16, but his second in a row as a double-digit seed. We're going to talk about that with Tim Welsh of ESPN later in the show. Get his thoughts on his former boss and longtime friend uh, up to his tricks in terms of taking more with less and, uh, and finding a way. It was uh, simply a masterful job. Michigan State, who made better than half of its shots for the season, yesterday completely handcuffed. The most telling statistic or graphic I saw was their second-half shot chart. I tweeted that out yesterday on the the plane home. They hardly took any two-point field goals in the second half, it seemed, and uh, just an incredible uh, closeout to the game. For the Orange, MSU shot 26% from the field for the game, 3 of 37 from three-point range. They weren't super from two-point range, if you know what I mean. And the fact that Syracuse nearly doubled MSU at the free-throw line is uh, how they came out in this one. Syracuse had 13 more free-throws made in 15 more attempts. That's how... Uh, the, the stats are just incredible, and I don't want to spend the whole show uh, geeking out on the black and white and the numbers, but to allow 29 offensive rebounds and win is an exceptionally low probability. Exceptionally low. I wouldn't recommend you try that again to anybody, but uh, Michigan State was so inefficient on the uh, offensive end, and Syracuse very much the beneficiary of it to move on to play Duke, and that's kind of a little bit of a buzzkill in the whole thing because now you start to think, well, if you can beat Michigan State, who can't you beat? Well, Duke might be on that list. Duke is really, really good. They're not going to be surprised by the defense. Duke's already crushed Syracuse once this year, although as we closer to the game and later in the week we can get into that one a little bit, that game was not quite as it would appear on paper, and playing at Cameron uh, certainly was a different experience for this uh, young Syracuse team than what they've been able to build. They're a much uh, more confident team when it comes to who they are now more than 30 games in than they were even at the uh, end of February going into uh, Cameron Indoor Stadium. Guys like Marek Dolajai, who just had a huge game, well, his first time in Cameron, it didn't go well. Pascal Chuku fouled out of that game. If he's able to to stay on the floor, uh, this certainly is a much better and more impactful Syracuse team. I do think, though, if you line up the other 15 teams that are in the Sweet 16, Duke would be about the last pick of who you'd want to play. Maybe not literally the last, but uh, right about there. I think you could make the argument you'd rather play even Villanova or whatever. I think the two two of the teams that come to mind that you'd least like to play, and Villanova might be on that list too, but uh, Duke, West Virginia, and a lot of those other teams, I think you'd take your shot. Of course, that's in part because some of them have outperformed their seeds and snuck in as well. 
Seth's along for the ride today. We've got some uh, Coach Beheim sounds, some highlights to play for you. Take your phone calls as well as uh, if you'd like to uh, join us on the show, you can do that at uh, 4 ESPN 44 In the booth, we've been kind of hit and miss here with all the travels of late. We appreciate your patience hanging in. Show brought to you by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. Working our way up to Tim Welsh here at the bottom of the hour. But uh, back to look back at just an astonishing Syracuse win against Michigan State when we continue in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Anyway, led by six. Orange won the game that they never led by more than three. Pretty incredible stuff. Now we can laugh about this, but this is how the first half came to an end. It was one of just eight three-points. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. We were going to call, but Eddie wanted to make it a surprise. Yeah. You surprised? (laughs) Surprised, Eddie? (laughs) If I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. A surprising 16 for the Orange to move on to Omaha in the Sweet 16. If I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised. And that's where we are. The day before the game, uh, Coach Saddle and I, as we do, kind of walking around, thinking about the game and doing the scouting report. And It was hard to find a path to figure out how Syracuse was going to win the game, but they did what they do and holding Michigan State to not just its lowest field goal shooting of the season. That doesn't do it justice. If I have time here, I'll go. I'll take the pencil to it quickly. I know Stephen North Syracuse is on hold uh, because Steve could, could do it quickly. I would just ballpark it. Michigan State, who missed its final 13 field goals of the game, they could hit like their next 12 and it still be their lowest field goal pursuit, uh, percentage shooting of the season. They shot 26% and uh, never got going uh, in any way, led by six. Orange won the game that they never led by more than three. Pretty incredible stuff. Now we can laugh about this, but this is how the first half came to an end. It was one of just eight three-points made by Michigan State. Coach Beheim always marks a couple of players going into the game. He'll tell the team, hey, this is the guy we really mean it. You really need to get up on uh, this guy, and for Michigan State in this game, it was Josh Langford and Matt McQuaid. Six seconds left the half. He throws to Bridges at 19 feet out front. Left side, McQuaid shot blocked by Moyer again on the perimeter. McQuaid catches. My goodness, a circus shot off the glass and in. In one motion, he caught it, chucked it up. The knuckleball hit the square and went down. You have got to be kidding me. And Coach Beheim, not amused. I've never won a game when a team made bank two threes against us. It would have been bad to be sitting up here if we lost by one and say we lost because we were unlucky. The first bank was the hardest and luckiest bank I've ever seen in my life. Second one was just a bank. They made eight for 37 and they banked two shots from the three. So we did a good job covering those two guys. If Michigan State had won that game, not only would that have been one of the shots of the tournament, it would be like a new thing. Like Matt McQuaid today, wherever he'd be, would be reenacting it. He'd be showing people how to do it. They'd be playing horse games, you know, catching a deflected ball, pumping and firing again. Uh, now we can laugh about it, but uh, that would have been a disastrous one. Even people who didn't have a dog in the hunt, like when, you know, raise the curtain here a little bit. When we throw to the studio at halftime, that's the time to, you know, you run to the restroom, you get water, you. And you might just duck in on, hey, what do you think? And more than one person said, well, I hope that doesn't decide the game. Because I think even somebody from the Big Ten Conference told me that. I think even somebody from Michigan State said that. That 
had Michigan State won by just a couple and gotten three that way, that would have been uh, absolutely a kick in the stomach. Tremendous play by Matt Moyer, who's uh, having a tough go in terms of finding a way to contribute here, but he certainly did on that play. He did everything he could have, but a miraculous, uh, incredible shot by Matt McQuaid. All right, let's get to the calls. We appreciate the patience. For everybody uh, waiting online with us, let's go to uh, Steve in Liverpool first. Hello, Steve. Yeah, hi, uh, Matt. A couple of thoughts. One, in football, usually they say defense will win the game. And I think uh, Coach Beheim realizing, uh, you know, that there were some challenges offensively for this team this year, that he has stressed that defense. And it's remarkable. Jim Spinarkle who is the color analyst, is the first one that I've noticed that says, you know, we call this a 2-3 zone, but Coach Beheim makes so many adjustments as the game goes on, and he actually dissected that on the air. So I think this is just a great season to cheer on the defense. There's no question about it, and I, I think people are probably misconstruing. You know, we all, now we can kind of joke and, and play with it because it's, it's our thing, but you say – it's ugly or you're reveling in the ugliness. That is what is designed. The defense is made to muck everything up, and that's exactly what it's done. So the game might feel or look like it's being played in the dirt, but it is exactly what you're talking about. It's to maximize the strengths that these players have and cover their weaknesses. So if there's not a spectacular shooter on this team, there isn't right now, there's you know limited – scoring potential you've got three players that really are true proven scorers and the other teams can load up on them you know what Marek Dolezal not really a gifted scorer right now he might show some ability to do to do that down the stretch he's flashed here at times you know what he absolutely can do Matt Moyer might be a better example you know what he absolutely can do he can stand in the way he can wall up on somebody he can deflect a pass he can steal a ball he can get on the floor so that's what those guys are doing Pascal Chuku has a hard time catching the ball and finishing without bringing the ball down among the smaller players. Okay, that's a big weakness for a player at his position. You know what he can do, though? He can block shots, and he can deflect passes, and he, at his best, can move. And there's a lot of different things. O'Shea Brissett is really a completely underrated athlete. I think people know he's a good athlete, but when you think of how – much ground he can cover in the zone and those types of things. Uh, what Frank Howard and Tyus Battle do at the front of the zone, and you can tell Battle, his eyes were just lit up yesterday at the start of the game. I, I knew then that at least you were going to get the best out of him on that end of the floor. Uh, Syracuse's guards are, are not uh, necessarily very productive rebounders, but they were able to do enough. They deflect a lot of passes. When the ball gets by them in the front line of the zone, they turn and they're ready to anticipate and catch that pass that's coming back out. That happened a couple of times yesterday against Michigan State. Frank Howard and Tyus Battle yesterday combined for three rebounds. Three. It's another of those numbers that if you'd said that before the game, this was going to happen against Michigan State, I would be asking, you know, when is the Michigan State parade? And, you know, how how much are they going to win by? But uh, that's not the way it worked out. Just an, an astonishing win in, in so many ways. Joe in Altoona, PA, is up next. Hello, Joe. Hi. How are I you? have a question. Right at the end of the game when there were about 2.4 seconds left and Chuko was at the um, foul line and he made the first one, do you think he was told to miss the second one? Or no. did it just – no? No, okay. because that would have uh, – a make would have made it a three-point lead. 
I do understand slightly the argument there for it, but then all they're probably going to get anyway in that situation is a heave, so you may as well make it so that a heave only ties the game. Um, if the heave had gone in there, Michigan State would have won. You know, and they got a half-court shot. They did a pretty good job getting it up the floor. Syracuse tends to pull players back off the line uh, to not go for the rebound there. I think it's worth asking uh, Coach Beheim that, but I do not believe so. Now, at the end of the Arizona State game in Dayton, he wanted Frank Howard to miss, but he also thought they only had a two-point lead at the time instead of three. Slightly different in that situation because now there was less than a second left. And then you're really off of miss. you got nothing. You know, in this case, there was enough time left that they did actually get a pretty decent shot. You know, in this day and age, that Pearl Washington shot that we all know and love, these guys kind of practice that, even if it's just horsing around, all the time. Tyus Battle, if the game is going to hinge on making one from the tunnel on the way to the locker room, Tyus Battle or Jerry McNamara are the guys you want shooting that because they do it all the time. So um, it's obviously not going to, but... uh, those are makeable shots, and Cassius Winston yesterday at, at uh, the end of that game almost made that shot. You know, it was uh, on the rim or, or, or right near it. So in that case, uh, I do not believe he was uh, instructed to miss. Stephen North Syracuse next. Hello, Steve. Uh, yeah. Uh, when Firstly, when that bank shot went in before the half, I thought to myself, Hervé Lamanzama must be <laughs> smiling someplace. That's a great trivia question there. Anyway, uh, there's all kinds of weird things in the box score. You know, how how did we win things with the 29 offensive rebounds they had? And we made one three-pointer and had three assists. Uh, One thing that I I noticed is that we only attempted 42 uh, field goals, and they attempted 66. And that's with the number of fouls being almost equal. Uh, They had 22. We had 20. Uh, and that, 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 that's still another highly unusual aspect of the game. And I, I was thinking about this, and I came up with a, another statistic you could look at. Uh, probably somebody's already thought of this, but uh, how many points would we have scored if we made every shot, and how many points would they have scored <laughs> if they made every shot, and what percentage uh, of what was actually scored does that represent if if – Michigan State had made every two-pointer, every three-pointer, every three-throw. They would have scored 185 points. If we'd done that, we would have scored 123 points, <laughs> and they would have won by 62 points. Uh, but, uh, of course, we scored 55, they scored 53. That meant that we scored 45% of, of the potential points we could have scored, and Michigan State only scored 29% of theirs. We, we we had to play so much defense in that game. You mentioned it during the game because so many times they'd get an offensive rebound and instead of a follow shot or a tip in, they'd set everything back up again. So they got so many more possessions. If there was a time of possession stat in basketball, they they, they would have dominated that. And that, that makes our defense look even better than the, the 53 points because they had so many opportunities to score and we kept stopping them and stopping them and stopping them. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, in the NBA or even in college now, they're doing more of the analytics. They call that effective shooting percentage. And, Steve, you'd appreciate this, but I, I got a, a call from a prominent uh, member of the Syracuse sportscasting family this morning, and he said, you know, I don't keep box scores, but I'm keeping this box score. And, and I think 
you'd appreciate, you know, you're very analytical, you're into the numbers and, and that kind of thing. And I'm just staring at it here in front of me. And I'm, maybe I'll frame it. But to, to take 66 shots and score 53 points is hard to do if you're trying. And uh, there's all kinds of things. If you look at this, though, um, you know, again, Michigan State should have won the game, but they didn't. And that's why they play the games. And you don't have to apologize for it. Yeah. So, yeah. Good stuff. We'll, uh, I'm sure we'll break down the, uh, the Duke game here before the week's out, Steve. Thanks for the call. You know, uh, and as I just said that when Michigan State should have won the game, the, the little Coach Beheim on my shoulder was like, well, what are you talking about? You know, uh, because Syracuse obviously did a lot of things right in the game too. Well, there's no question they did. I, you know, uh, the fact that I think Syracuse was choosy about didn't take a ton of threes that um, I'll look it up here in a second. The eight three-point attempts is a fairly recent low. I think we all know that this team is not going to uh, live on the, the three-pointer and making a ton of them, but to have taken only eight is their low since. Excellent radio here. Excellent. Might have been their only game. It's their low since taking eight against Oakland, and those are the only two games all season where they didn't take at least ten three-pointers. They made only one, and the idea of going to the basket. So that's 34 of their 42 field goal attempts were two-point field goal attempts. They got to the line, and this is a pretty good free-throw shooting team. Pascal Chuku at crunch time made one of two. O'Shea Brissett, uh, six of eight. And Tyus Battle, of course, nine for ten from the line of the game. Those are the reasons that Syracuse won. Turnovers not great, 12 of them uh, to Michigan State's 14, but uh, at least able to win uh, a slight edge in, in that little battle. And find a way to get it done against a, a team that has more accomplishments this year, won more games, and uh, had a, a deeper bunch. Jaron Jackson, somebody that I think everybody was worried about before the game, did not play very well or very long. Two points, eight boards in 15 minutes. Miles Bridges played a lot around the perimeter quite a bit, 11 points. Had that huge dunk. I think that was another uh, time where you felt momentum was so much on the side of Michigan State that uh, they were going to go on and uh, win the game. And uh, that's not how it worked. One of the things that uh, Coach Beheim credited his own team with, uh, aside from their resilience that we've talked about in the big picture and from game to game and over the long haul of the season, dealing with the defections and all of that type of stuff, the injuries, they're resilient in the capital R, big sense of the word, uh, as the season's gone on. But certainly bounced back and were able to answer the good bounces and things that Michigan State got yesterday. But getting back defensively, uh, was a very key point for the Orange. We're pretty resilient. We're in good condition. You know, everybody says, pick up the pace, run, run. You can't run. If you run, you're gonna, we're going to beat you bad because we're going to get back and get set. You're running and taking a quick shot. That's going to help us. You play against a team that gets their defense. They made two or three shots at the end of the shot clock. Shots we wanted. The first shot of the second half, we wanted him to take that shot. He's six feet out, shot clock's going, and he makes it. And then they bank one. These guys just keep playing. They don't worry about that. They just don't worry about that. They just keep playing, and uh, we want to control it. We would like to run, but we don't ever get a rebound really to run off of. <laughs> I think we got one fast break, and I think we might have scored. I'm not even sure now, but, you know, we're, we're not getting fast breaks. We can't exert energy running up and down the court. We need to save our energy. Well, and saving energy is really done on the offensive end. I was so glad we played it yesterday on the uh, basketball pregame show. 
I was so glad that there finally is the opportunity for, in this case, it happened to be Frank Howard who fielded the question and dealt with it, that somebody got to pass on the notion that Syracuse rests on defense or that because they play zone, they're able to last longer or, or go deeper in the games of their stamina. Frank Howard laughed at that and said, uh, no, playing zone in a lot of ways is playing harder. You have to play harder. It's more difficult than playing man. Uh, so that was really important. And one of the things that the Orange did really for two games in a row is defend the high post. And that doesn't mean necessarily cut it off or deny the ball there, but to deal with the ball being in the high post because uh, TCU got it in there with their guard, Alex Robinson, and the ball was in that area, uh, passed there quite a bit. Cassius Winston played on the perimeter yesterday for Michigan State, but they got it into the big men and uh, Syracuse uh, able to react well to that. We try to keep it out of the high. It's hard to keep it out of the high post. We, we, we tried. We know that people go there and we react to that, to the shooters, so they can't get it out. We try to force that guy to do something there. A couple guys they had in there was, were trying to throw when it wasn't open. I think it really helped that Jackson didn't have a good game. I was most concerned about him in there because he can make the play and score. And when guys miss a couple foul line jump shots, everybody thinks that's where you should go, and that's the shot. It's a hard shot. There aren't that many guys that turn and make that that shot. In my 42 years, teams in that high post are shooting 22%. I think he after – I don't know if it was just us saying it. I know uh, Coach Sadelin agreed with me at the time and said as much in the post game. I hope Coach Beheim admitted that he pulled that particular number out of his posterior because he might be close, but come on. Completely making that up. But – very interesting and very much to the point. They want you to take tough twos. Michigan State took tough threes yesterday. They took a lot of late in the shot clock, fading away, one-footed, backing up, you know, 23-footers. And uh, that is exactly how they played into Syracuse's hand. Tom Izzo's getting a lot of heat today in uh, Michigan. Their season ending uh, prematurely. Uh, in fact, I saw across the uh, bottom line on ESPN today he had to deny any notion that he would be retiring uh, and certainly passed on that. But uh, the re- heat, if he deserves any heat, and he's a tremendous coach and, and we uh, appreciated uh, his class and, and giving us some time for the pregame show as well, the fact they didn't pound the ball inside and really work to foul out Syracuse's big man and really uh, put Barama Sidibe and, and Pascal Chuku in a tough spot uh, trying to guard Nick Ward and trying to guard Miles Bridges in the paint, Jaron Jackson, for that matter, on the offensive glass. The fact they didn't really pound on that uh, is probably the biggest indictment of Izzo. But if you look at it, if his strategy was to jack up as many threes as possible on the hopes that at least your share went in and then rebound the rest, they did that. What, what more do you want? That, that, plan, that plan basically worked. They just missed so many that they lost the game. Had, had they shot even 25%, which every coach in the uh, country would vomit over the, the hope that they would only make 25% of their three-pointers, if they made 25%, that's you know six more points that they would have had uh, in the game and, uh, and would have been probably enough to, to put Syracuse away, but it did not work that way. Dave in Syracuse is next on the phone. Hello, Dave. 
Hey guys, how you doing today? What a great win for Syracuse. Um, you know it. I just want to say, I think Syracuse has a, a, one advantage. I think they're going to, it's hard to beat a team three times in one season. So I think Syracuse has that advantage. I'd like to see them score more at the free throw, make more of their free throw shots. And we can play good defense. We can go all the way. I mean, for entertainment purposes only, I have them going all the way and play Kentucky in a championship game. All right, Dave, from your lips to God's ears, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, Far be it for me to point out a couple of facts, uh, but they've only played Duke once this year, and uh, it wasn't competitive in the last uh, 10 minutes of the game. But I also want to point out that I think it's a bit of a myth that it's hard to beat a team three times in a season. If you've beaten a team twice head-to-head, you're better. And I think the stats show in the NFL and in in college basketball, for that matter, um, you can beat teams three times in a season. Duke would be going for only its second win against no losses against the Orange on Friday. As for shooting free throws better, Syracuse is one of the best free throw teams. They're not, you know, not going to set any records. They're not as good even as uh, last year's team was had three really good free throw shooters. Um, you might win a bar bet on this, but in conference games only, if you all want to put it on equal footing, the top free throw shooting team in the ACC was the uh, Syracuse Orange that play right up the hill here. Um, overall, we take all games into account. They were upper middle of the pack. But uh, for all intents and purposes, when you free throws aren't really harder against Colgate than they are against Syracuse, they just might mean less. Uh, when you get into conference games, we're talking about from January first on, uh, in this case New Year's Eve on. Syracuse has shot free throws as well as you'd want. They shot seventy-seven percent yesterday. You can't really ask to improve on that. Uh, you'd love to make them all and uh, close out the game that way, but uh, they did, I think, make five of the last six and uh, take advantage of. Michigan State down the stretch. Tyus Battle had four points in the last 48 seconds, and uh, then Pascal Chuku uh, sealing it as he did uh, earlier in the week. So we thank uh, Dave for the call. If you'd like to join us by phone, 437-7644. We'll see if we can squeak you, squeak you in. We'll get to Do We Care with Seth in a bit. Tim Welsh of ESPN to join us after that. We're in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. Do we care? Interesting. I doubt it. No, wait. The other thing. Tedious. But we will do this segment anyway. Don't care anymore. Here's Joe Salzone. I don't care anymore. Joe's out today. Seth Goldberg here with you in the booth. And uh, Matt, the story of the weekend, and, and Syracuse is among them in the NCAA tournament, but how about UMBC beating Virginia on Friday night? Well, their coach Ryan Odom is getting an offer to stick around. UMBC Athletic Director Tim Hall says he'll meet with Odom this week and present a long-term contract, which includes a salary increase. Of course, the story of the tournament. Sure, and I see one of his assistants has already gotten another job at uh, Longwood. That's what happens when you win games and people notice. I don't know Ryan Odom, but uh, I've met his uh, father, Dave Odom, uh, a few times, and Coach Odom and Coach Beheim are are, uh, close friends. And uh, what an achievement. And uh, I hope uh, Ryan Odom does what makes sense for him. It's good to see a, a small program like that be able to retain a coach. Yeah, and am- amazing to me, seven years before he got there, the previous seven years, single-digit wins, 21 wins for him in year one, 25 in this win in year two. Uh, a driver in England got pulled over on Sunday and apparently showed his cops his license that had a picture of Homer Simpson on it. The cops searched his car, found the driver, apart from not having a real license, also didn't have insurance. Well, why bother if you don't have a real license? And probably wasn't even his car either. The cop also had to arrest him for driving on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> Other than that, though, he was right where he needed to be. Don't uh, Homer. Uh, <laughs> Homer's a good one. I don't think people are going to miss when you show the, the Homer Simpson license. The English could are just you look, wacky. Could you look like him? What would you have to do to look like Homer? 
I think I kind of know a guy that looks a little bit uh, <laughs> like Homer, but the the yellow, the jaundice, I think, would be a little hard to fake. That would be difficult. All right, let's go to uh, Love It First Slice there for Camp's Pizzeria. Go. Let's go to the phones again. Dave in Syracuse, part two. Hello, Dave. Hey, Matt. Uh, I have a basketball question, but first I, I want to offer sincere condolences to the loss of your friend and your cohort. Thank you. Uh, True loss to the community, Chris Getty, and I would hope that uh, they dedicate the football season, even the basketball season, to him. Uh, real loss, real loss to all of us. Definitely. You're 100% right, and I appreciate you pointing it out. Thank you. I hope he's pulling some strings up there for us. Oh, for sure, for sure. Basketball question here. You know, one of the things that amazes me <clears throat> amongst all the things, we all know the things we're dealing with here, the, the tight roster and <clears throat> everything that's going on. Nobody has really asked. Maybe you've talked to him about it. How is Frank Howard dealing with the strep throat? I mean, he even sounds a little hoarse still when, when he's in the interviews. And I've had strep throat, and I know how much it saps your energy and takes your legs away. And that, on top of everything else, astounds me that we're still able to overcome that. And that, that's a big one. But had, did you talk to Frank at all about well, that? Well, we had him on the uh, postgame show, I think, two of these games, the both games in uh, in Detroit including one where he didn't play the last uh, six and a half minutes. And, you know, he just is a guy that keeps on moving. I think it's a great question. Uh, I had strep throat earlier in the, the season or maybe it was football season, you know, kind of that crossover period that, that tends to to kick my butt. You, you don't want to get out of bed, let alone uh, play 40 minutes in a basketball game. So I think it's worth uh, discussing, except that now it's he's clearly on the back end of it. He said he's uh, taken medication and, and rested, said he was fine. He missed the Sunday night uh, selection part of it. I, I think he's, you know, has that sort of under the weather feeling. I wouldn't read too much into his voice or uh, his uh, voice being hoarse or cracked. Uh, that's uh, maybe a little bit more uh, commonplace for him, but uh, he's clearly on the mend and he's in good hands on, on the road. They can sleep and be taken care of uh, by the training staff. And I, I think he's in pretty good shape there. So Dave, thanks for the uh, call and particularly your comments on Chris. We'll take a time out and uh, RIP 84 back with uh, Tim Welsh of ESPN when we return. This is In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse. This is In the Booth with Matt Park. In the Booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse brought to you as always by Burdick Toyota and CH Insurance. Good to have you along with us. Brief stop back in town before reloading and heading to the Sweet 16. It's a feeling our friend uh, Tim Welsh knows and uh, joins us now from uh, ESPN. Hello, Tim. How are you? Oh, we're great. Uh, we're a little wiped out ourselves from watching so much great basketball over the weekend, but I'm sure I'm not as uh, wiped out as you and the boys, the coaches, the players, everybody else. An emotional uh, weekend in Detroit and Flash Dayton. So congratulations to everybody there, and uh, it was fun to watch. It really was. Well, pretty incredible. You go from really not even necessarily being in the tournament, having to eke in, and uh, then close games, three in a row. W- what have you seen in terms of how they've been able to survive this grind and really thrive in it. Well, Syracuse, watching him as closely as I did this season and every season, as much as I can, obviously, uh, just up close to watch Jim and his team and his staff and what they do and how they progress through the season. And, you know, obviously, I think this year, everyone talks about what an incredible coaching job he's done. I think he does an incredible coaching job every year. But this year's group really, really kind of just scratched and clawed. And when you don't have a really good offensive team you've got to find other ways to win and 
What they did over the weekend, I thought was even against Arizona State, was truly amazing on how they never, ever lost any energy in that defense. And I, I thought at some point yesterday it, it, it would have to catch up to them. The combination of deep foul trouble, uh, playing their third game in five days or whatever it was, and just playing against a high-level team right in their backyard. And I thought at some point it was going to catch up. And it did look like it was catching up to them a little bit on the backboards because they would just get beat up on the boards. But the, in the intensity and the level of speed that they closed out on shooters was really as good as I've ever seen any Syracuse team. And that goes back to all the teams that James have had that have played zone defense. And even late in the game against TCU, they were moving the ball from side to side. In a, it was a clinic how fast they were moving the ball from one corner to the other. And, and they couldn't find any open looks because every time they made another pass, the, the Syracuse defender was right in the chest of the TCU shooter, and they couldn't get a look. And I, when I saw that, I said, this team has a chance because you know it's going to be almost impossible to score against them as long as, as, long as they can get some rebounds. And then yesterday they couldn't get any rebounds, and they still found a way just to close out Michigan State because even when they got rebounds, they couldn't put them back in because, again, Syracuse just was tough around the basket of just getting a, hand, a quick Long hand right in the face. So nothing, nothing was easy. And you know, everybody talks about their offensive struggles, and I still think they come alive with their offense. And uh, you know, it's never going to be pretty because that's not how they're built. But defensively, it's as good as it gets when watching what I saw in those last three games. Well, they're still do a game where it could click offensively for them. It's really only been a couple times they made it this far. They've shot fifty percent in a game five times all year in thirty-five games, and uh, still alive in the tournament. You know, Coach Sadlin and I thought Arizona State was one of the very few teams beating Syracuse to loose balls. They looked faster, lower to the ground. And to think that in a same stretch of five days that they would beat Michigan State, by the way, that uh, you laid out is pretty impressive. Bigger sense here, you know, it wasn't that long ago Coach Beheim had had teams three years in a row that were like these Michigan States and and. Arizona State's and averaging 82 points a game. That that happened. That was regular around here not long ago. So he's won it both ways. They've outperformed their seeding now, Tim, three of the last four appearances in the NCAA tournament. How? Well, it's it's the zone number one. It's uh, the teaching of the zone, the preparation, obviously, the staff, the belief the players have in in the uh, what do I say? The, the tradition. Uh, when Tom Jim, Izzo used the word Jim culture. That, when Jim walks in that the winning culture, the NCAA culture, something about when Jim walks in that locker room for an NCAA tournament game, and you know, you know he's serious, you know he wants to win, but you, it's the same. You, you have a feeling that he thinks you're going to win, and he expects you to win. And when your coach feels that way, and it just transcends throughout the program, and your coach isn't afraid, your coach knows how to push the right button. And I think that that goes a long way. And that's why you see the same coaches pretty much every year. You know, obviously you've got the upsets and this and that, but you see all the Tom Izzo shooters leaving unless they have to go against the Jim Behan. Then obviously one of them's out. Bill Self, uh, now Jay Wright has done that. Bob Huggins has done that. Mark Few has done that. John Beeline now is doing that. So that's no... That's no trick. That's because those guys are there. They know how to push the right buttons, and their players really believe they're supposed to win. And the end of that game yesterday, there's no doubt. Syracuse thought they were supposed to win the game. They weren't supposed to lose to Michigan State. It didn't matter where if the game was played in 
Tom Izzo's backyard, they were saying, we're, we're going to win this game. You could just see the confidence in it. And uh, you saw it again on Friday night against DCU. No doubt about it. Uh, Pascal Chuku going to the line, uh, at least made one of those free throws when everybody was nervous uh, for him uh, late in the game and uh, just incredible to watch. I want to ask you this last thing here, Tim, one sort of coaching note. Jamie Dixon pointed out, look, one of the reasons we were successful at Pittsburgh beating Syracuse, we practiced playing against the zone from October 15th on, and we played some of it ourselves. In fact, he even mentioned you because you were one of the uh, coaches familiar with zone that was in the Big East at the time. Uh, Tom Izzo says, you know, we don't see a lot of it in the Big Ten. It's hard to get ready for in one game. And I always feel like when coaches say that, and Izzo's a Hall of Famer, they're doomed right there. Well, there's no doubt, and, and it really doesn't matter. I think, you know, obviously when you're in the league, it's, it's different, but when you're in the NCAA tournament, it's just when you come up and see that length and you see, I don't care how long you practice, it, it, there was nothing working yesterday. You can put in 100 plays, and, and they didn't look comfortable from the get-go because not because they had not practiced about it. This is just my opinion. Listen, Tom knows his team obviously better than I do. I just think that the defense was too good. When the defense is that good, it doesn't matter how long you practice because you, you step out and you see it for the first time, and that length just closes off any angles, anything that you're used to. And I'm sure there's teams in the Big Ten that play zone, but they don't play it like that. And, and that's the thing. And it's, not, it's the intensity, the length, and the ability just to play as partners. Each guy is kind of attached to the guy next to him, and they, if one guy has to extend out a little bit, then the other guy covers for him. Like the forward, forward, back forward has to extend way out to the three-point line. Then you see the center will go way out to the corner, and then the other forward covers the middle of the floor, and it's all you see them all moving together. And and some some nights it doesn't work that way, but this weekend it really did. They were they were on point chemistry wise on defense, and that's important for that. When you have one guy that maybe is a weak link in that defense, then you can exploit it. But they did they had no weak links in that defense at all, except on the backboards, and I'm sure. They'll cure that. They'll get some rest this week, and you'll see them rebound the ball better against Duke. Well, it was beautiful, and they've got off until uh, Friday before playing today. I'm sure it was an off day for uh, the players and, and uh, today to get them back into class and all of that, and uh, then back on the uh, the bus and playing on Wednesday. Tim, thanks so much for your time and insight, and uh, we appreciate you being with us. Enjoy the rest of the tournament. All right. Have fun in Omaha. Thanks, you know we Tom. will. Don't get cheated on the, uh, the road trips, certainly. That's Tim Welsh of ESPN. Well, we'll be back tomorrow with the show and uh, uncertain, really, the rest of the week. We'll have more to share with you once we know the schedule out there in Omaha. But the fact that there is a game on Friday, I think, is astonishing, uh, first and foremost, for uh, most of the folks who follow Orange basketball. Thanks so much to the callers. Thanks to Seth for uh, filling in today, holding down the fort. For everybody involved, I'm Matt in the booth on ESPN Radio Syracuse.